everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. If you're watching the video version of this, you might notice something a little bit different, and for future record purposes, it will also probably very much date when this episode was released. I am Jeremy Graves. Thank you very much for checking out the show this week, and of course, I am joined by my good friend, who I think is also in a bit of a festive mood today, the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how the devil are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm excited about this summer special that we're recording. <laughs> yep, the summer holidays are here. Winter has been and gone. <laughs> yes, in, 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 indeed. I was, try- I, I was trying to think of some good like Transformers-related Christmas jokes, but I couldn't think of any, so you'll just have to make your own. Please send them in for next year. <laughs> yeah, we'll just call it out like it is from the beginning, everybody. On the day we are releasing this podcast, unless something changed in the back end of life, in which case then it's not, this is being released on the 24th of December. So Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone out there. Hope you're having a wonderful time no matter what you're doing and where you are. So Andy, I guess the first question I'm going to ask you is, is there anything in particular you are hoping that Roboto Santa will bring you this year? <laughs> um... No, no. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe laser beak spying on me constantly. You know, that seems like seems like that's what all the cool kids are doing from having watched a bunch of this cartoon. So maybe, maybe that'll happen. What if Roboto Santa found out what all the kids and everyone wanted for Christmas from having lots of laser beaks and buzz saws? I mean, that would be kind of terrifying, but also kind <laughs> of cool. So sure, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> Uh, So today, everybody, we are continuing our journey into Season 2 of The Transformers, as this week we are covering Episodes 9 through 12. Andy, to to begin proceedings, as we are one to do, thoughts overall on this crop of episodes that we are tackling today? It's a very kind of mixed bag of stuff. Like, there's... I mean, again, we'll we'll get into, into... into my personal problems with Transformers, which is like, you know, his, 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 his we're going to go deep this one. Um, like, you know, this is a cartoon about robots that transform into things from a faraway planet. And yet I have problems with the realism of other things apart from that, like Atlantis. Um, and it's like, you know, it's a painfully ridiculous position for me to hold, but somehow I can't quite get over that. Um, but no, there's there's some good stuff in here as well. There's some good like tried and trusted sort of bits of of sort of cartoon storytelling, etc. Um, and I didn't realise that I needed to see Optimus Prime play basketball quite as much <laughs> as I now know that I do after seeing these episodes. It was a fantastic moment, that which we will certainly get onto a bit later. For me, I, I completely agree with what you say in that this was a very mixed bag. I think that this collection of episodes had a lot of great moments as opposed to being great episodes overall. There are lots of little cool things peppered out, peppered throughout all of these. But overall, and my opinion may change as we recap these, because it's been an interesting week as it were, so sort of actually watching these in like a haze of other things going on sometimes clouds your judgement at the time you're watching them. I might completely change my opinion by the end of the episode, but as things stand, that that's kind of where I'm at on this. Yeah, yeah, there, there are definitely good moments, and this is... This is also like the the back and forth of sort of these season two episodes where at least some of them have like, you know, they're basically spotlight episodes for particular characters. And that is just sort of nice to see sometimes because it's just like, oh, here's a character that 
doesn't really get to do much in the show, but they get a whole episode about, you know, their thing and kind of, you know, whatever their peccadillos or hang-ups or whatever are. And, you know, some of those we had the Gears 1 last episode, which was kind of, like, a bit dumb and goofy. The one, the, the main one that we get in this batch of episodes is also kind of a bit dumb in its own way, but I sort of was also kind of charming. Um, and I... I'm sort of curious, like, having not really watched a lot of season two, to see more of these and to see, like, more of these sort of character-centric ones, especially when they're around lesser-used characters that don't normally, you know, get much time in the limelight. Or in the case of one episode, a, a character we've literally never seen before his own episode. <laughs> yeah, Which... yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, again, is that other weird season two thing coming straight off of season one where everybody gets a backstory, but here it's just like slap, slap the new Transformer in, you know, it'll be fine. Before we go any further, everybody, a quick mention, as always, that if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you can. You can find us at Starscreams Pod on both of those platforms. And also worth mentioning, if you want to drop us an email, you can do so on starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. You may have also heard us refer to a few times at this point throughout all the episodes that we're on YouTube as well. That is because you can watch this entire episode, if you're listening to the audio version, on YouTube. If you search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast on YouTube, you will be able to find our channel with every single episode in video form. So if you really just want to watch Andy and I discuss all this, you can indeed! Yeah, it's, it's the is the only way you can see me wearing a Christmas hat. So it, <laughs> that 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 may be the thing that makes you decide you never want to see this on YouTube. That may be the thing that makes you decide you want to see this on YouTube. I won't judge you either way. <laughs> and of course, mentioning YouTube, everybody, a reminder that the episodes we are watching in every single podcast that we record is done so via the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is an official YouTube channel created by Hasbro that has all of the Transformers episodes on there. And so, also worth noting that the order we are watching all the episodes in is dictated by that as well, that being the broadcast order. So from there, everybody, let's go to our first episode of the day, that being episode nine, Atlantis Arise. The narrator, who we've not heard from in a while, Andy, so I was very happy to hear his dulcet tones once again, begins with the following... In their relentless pursuit of more energy, the Decepticons make an ominous discovery. As this voice is speaking, we see, quote-unquote, the Percep Vultures, which I legit didn't know that is what Laserbeak and Buzzsaw, first time we're seeing Buzzsaw in the show, by the way, I had no idea that's what they were referred to, and I loved that phrase so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before, so I think they just kind of made that up on the spot. I'd like to think narrator guy just made up that word as he was, like, given that script of just, like, I need to need to spruce this one up a bit. But, yeah, the very first note I've written for this episode is it's, insert swear words here, buzzsaw, because I was very <laughs> excited, having complained again incessantly about a character not turning up at all. And much as his appearance is kind of token in this, it's like, it's Buzzsaw, finally. <laughs> so they are flying over the ocean, and then inside Decepticon HQ, Megatron is receiving a video feed of what they are looking at. Quote-unquote from Megatron, How dare you make me watch a dumb travel log sound wave? Recall Laserbeak and Buzzsaw at once. However, Soundwave then says, Megatron, stick around. You know, there there's some more to show you. 
and then there is a radar of sorts indicating a large underwater city. The Decepticons then head out to the location and discover said city on the bottom of the seabed, but the Seeker Jets make a beeline to enter it immediately and are hit by an invisible force field. Then we are introduced to the character Nergil, which I had to write down in that way. Basically like Fishmen, that's probably what I'll refer to them as throughout, who is the king of Sub-Atlantica, who communicates with, with the Decepticons telepathically. And unfortunately, Starscream tries to attack him, causing a brief scuffle between the Man-Fish, as Megatron called them, because they had hoped that the, the creatures that they have seen, the Decepticons, were different to previous passers-by of their domain. The scuffle ends with Megatron saying that he admires their warrior spirit, and that they have much to, to discuss together. Nergil then invites them inside the kingdom to have a conversation, but concerns are quietly raised between Soundwave and Starscream, because there's a bit of weird communication that happens that no one can understand, and it's because Nergil has scrambled his communications, though as a little pro tip, if you actually just listen really carefully, it's just dialogue sped up incredibly fast. <laughs> I didn't try to write it down admittedly, but I just thought, no, I, I hear English words there. That's definitely sped up dialogue. Inside, we see that the kingdom has plentiful amounts of energy. No doubt catnip for Megatron. But the kingdom and its people have to remain deep underwater to be able to harness it. This then leads to an alliance between the Fishmen and the Decepticons to create Energon Cubes, with Megatron saying that he will help the kingdom rise to the surface once again while quietly scheming that he's just going to take the Energon and then be done with them. So Andy, let's, let's pause there for a second, because there's, there's a decent amount to unpack there, I suppose, but the idea that we've got like an underwater kingdom, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but what I think is very interesting is how technologically advanced they are. I think for me, that was quite interesting, like the whole force field thing, the fact that they're communicating telepathically as well, and that it's just, they're just filled with such technology inside. That, I think, was probably the most surprising part of it, but still a cool thing, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of... I'm pretty sure Transformers is not the first, nor will it be the last cartoon that has, like, Atlantis as sort of a plot point in an episode. But it usually tends to be your sort of very typical, you know, Poseidon with his spear kind of, like, vision of this lost city. Um, and so, yeah, kind of having it be technological is sort of... You know, it fits the Transformers brand and kind of makes it more interesting that way. It also, I guess, kind of like fills the gaps on one of my big issues, which is like, why has nobody noticed this before? But, you know, <laughs> you can you can definitely have a like dot 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 something something technology that, you know, they've hidden themselves. And of course, like, you know, the Decepticons have sufficiently advanced technology to actually notice them. Um, so, you know, I'm willing to give that a pass. Like, this is exactly what I was talking about in terms of my issues of just, like, Transformers aren't real. Like, spoilers for this podcast. I'm sorry if this is, like, telling you that Santa's not real <laughs> or something. Um, Transformers aren't real, but yet somehow, like, you in introduce Atlantis, which is also not real. And that's somehow my tipping point of, like, oh, well, this is just stupid. Yeah, because it's, like, you know, <laughs> taken logically, why am I okay with the Transformers as a whole? And then suddenly, you, you know, you throw in some... Fishmen as uh, 
or, or Ben Fish as Megatron, whatever, and suddenly like that's too much for me. Um, so that's why I, I did like compared to what I was expecting out of this episode, which was just me rolling my eyes going, oh, Atlantis. Like it's actually, I, I ended up kind of, there, there are bits that I really, and things that I really like about this episode. Yeah, the technology is definitely one. The fact that, I feel like we've gotten a viewpoint from like the start of this episode that Megatron clearly actually watches quite a bit of TV because he's like, what is this, a travelogue? <laughs> Like, you know, what, what, what is this, a place in the sun? And it's just like, you know, he's clearly he's clearly been brushing up on his Earth TV while he's having some downtime, uh, which I, I quite enjoyed. On some um, of those non-existent cigarette breaks that we periodically see, it's actually just him reading a, <laughs> reading a paper or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's probably got his holiday brochures. He's probably actually really into travel logs. Or just like, where, where, where do we go next? Or oh, oh, they've got... They, they've got, like, the world's biggest energy source. Like, perfect holiday destination. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and I, 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 I also just really enjoyed their, like, the, the sped-up scrambled talking just because it's... There are so many ways you could have made that sound cooler than it was. It's like, oh, they've scrambled their communications, but it just, like, you know, it, it's just that really sped-up, high-pitched voice which didn't really sell me on, like, you know on some kind of anything sort of um, anything menacing or malicious going on. It's like, why not just like reverse what they said? Like do it, play it backwards or something. But the, the kind of like squeaky, like was just like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of ruined my immersion there. Clearly whoever made this episode had not seen the backwards episode of Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or not which, well, I guess Twin Peaks didn't exist at this point. So I suppose, actually, in fairness, Red Dwarf probably didn't exist at that point either, or at least not yeah. season three, come to think of it. Yeah, so, so yeah, there's a clear pass. But what else could they possibly have done? We'll, we'll give them that one. <laughs> Send us a tweet, if you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let us know if there's something else they could have done. So, at Autobot HQ, the Dinobots, Hound, Wheeljack, Bumblebee, and Spike are playing American football when they are summoned by Prime as they've detected an unusual energy reading in the Atlantic Ocean. Bumblebee, Hound, Brawn, Wheeljack, and Spike volunteer to check this out. We see some cool sequences of the Autobots driving along the ocean bed when they reach a city and Spike, now in, well, I say now in scuba gear, he's in shorts and an air tank, quite frankly. You know, definitely, you know, not cold on the deep, you know, dark bed of the ocean floor. I won't get into that now. That's a minor detail. But he says, this could be the legend of Atlantis. Suddenly, they are attacked by a group of fishmen, and and Spike is called a land slug, which I thought was a great insult for humans. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess sea slugs are a thing, so, you know, it sort of, it sort of makes sense if you're an Atlantean. <laughs> the Seeker Jets join the fray, and Bumblebee refers to them as underwater air pollution, which I thought was another cool little thing there. Getting some yeah. good and, 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 in the early going. And, 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 and also, like, we, we didn't mention, like, you know, that the Seeker Jets just fly underwater in this episode. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, if, if we're going to question the science here, I have questions <laughs> about that. I'm pretty sure that doesn't work, but... Hey, I'm no Transformers expert. I like the way it's literally this episode that has broken all logic now for Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, it's weird because also because I mean, we've had like the, the Autobots are like driven underwater in multiple episodes, and somehow again I'm kind of fine with that. But once a jet does it and flies underwater, I'm like, no, sorry, no. You were fine with water skis on the surface. <laughs> 
and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah water skis are also <laughs> fine. I mean, aer- aerofoils are, are, are all good. Cars driving under <laughs> under sea. I mean, you know, I guess like James Bond had like a submarine car or something. But I don't know. Somehow planes under sea. No, that's, that's just too far. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Autobots retreat to a cave, but Wheeljack ends up blocking off the cave so that they can all exit. And he basically takes one for the team. Wheeljack is taken prisoner by Nurgil, and once again, uh, scrambled communication is used to instruct his guards to take him, to take him rather, that being Wheeljack, to his laboratory. Again, Soundwave and Starscream are suspicious of this, and Soundwave is able to decode what Nurgil said and replay it back on his tape deck, and that's when we find out that Nurgil has got some bigger plans in the works for both the Autobots and Decepticons. We then see Sub-Atlantica rising from the depths in pursuit of Bumblebee and Co. on top of the water, which... Uh, <laughs> just this bit specifically, Andy. I felt this was a very big escalation in where we were at in the story. Because we had gone from an underwater fight, Autobots were escaping through a cave, is Spike going to run out of air was the first thing I thought. Because I thought they were buried in the cave. And then suddenly, Sub-Atlantica rises, and then the other Autobots are on top of the ocean, trying to drive slash boat away, and then they're being chased by the city. Like, a lot happened in about 20 seconds. Yeah, and I mean, not not least because, you know, as we've discussed, you know, this Atlantis has sort of been hidden from, you know, human eyes for however long it's been in existence, and no one has ever known of it, and suddenly it's just like... Ah, these robots are annoying. Let's just surface the entire city to try and, like, chase them. It's like, well, that's your cover blown, isn't it? (laughs) The Autobots get back on land and figure out that the underwater city is bound for Washington, D.C. We finally got to that point in the series, folks. And Megatron, Soundwave, and two of the Seeker Jets fly on ahead. And we then see Nergil having a monologue to himself about how they, the Fishmen, will control everything and be rid of the Decepticons. But remember how I said there were only two Seeker Jets that went? That's because Starscream stayed back and overheard this monologue. Silly Nergil. We cut to a, a, we cut to a whale parade? That doesn't make sense in my notes. I mean, it's underwater. That could that could have happened. Like, I don't remember <laughs> sure. it, but it could have happened. <laughs> I think we'll it's a whole that. parade, but that's a good typo from me. I'll take that. We cut to a whole parade of Autobots rolling into Washington, D.C. as the Decepticons and the Sub-Atlanteans are wreaking havoc on the city and use a device to activate an energy dome around Washington, D.C. as well, meaning no one can enter or leave. A firefight breaks out with Prime's crew heavily outnumbered. We then cut to Bumblebee infiltrating Sub-Atlantica. They find that Wheeljack has been impaired by a, quote-unquote, Magnetic Dysfunction Ray, as Nergil works on him, as I've written down. Starscream tries to interfere, but is hit by the Ray too. As Starscream put it, Traitorous Electro-Toad, you shall pay! (laughs) Again, great quotes here. But Nergil, interestingly to note though, says that while the Ray was effective on Starscream, not quite as effective as it is on Autobots. And that is ultimately his downfall, saying that out loud, as he leaves the lab and gives Starscream a chance to try and actually tamper with Wheeljack, because he's not completely incapacitated. And then Bumblebee tackles Starscream, now completely incapacitating him. This gives them the chance to sort out Wheeljack, and then they race after Nurgle, because they know what is up and what his ultimate plan is. 
Back inside the energy dome, the firefighting continues, Nurgle arrives, and inc basically incapacitates every Autobot under the sun. Like, if you wanna- if you were playing like, I don't know, Halo or Apex Legends or something, and you were trying to accumulate some score points and like a kill-death ratio, Nurgle has your number on this. That's what I'm saying about that. <laughs> But he hasn't realised that Bumblebee and Wheeljack are now also inside the dome because they followed him in while the entrance was open. And they try to warn their comrades, but at this point, they are too late. A lot has happened there, Andy. And I will say, regardless what we ultimately think of the Fishmen and what I'm assuming is an enemy that we will never see ever again, they're kind of like the one-and-done filler enemy... I actually kind of like how... Just how formidable they are as an actual enemy. Like, they've actually downed pretty much the entire Autobot contingent. They've actually got their number. They're actually very intelligent for a one-and-done enemy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm always... I, I always enjoy the kind of, like, two different evil forces join up kind of episodes of any sort of cartoon like this. Because, you know, you know that they're both, like treacherous and they're both going to try and kind of double cross each other and, and kind of do one another over and that's always kind of a lot of fun because you get to see you know two people who are just kind of like you're going to betray us aren't you no you're going to betray us aren't you um <laughs> so all of that is is enjoyable and yeah like it's this story actually like you know just despite my misgivings about the whole atlantis thing it kind of ends up in a pretty solid place like narratively I really like the fact that it ends up in Washington, D.C. and actually kind of makes good use of it. Um, I'm trying... Because I feel like we've maybe had, like, locations name-checked... or American locations name-checked in, like, the series before. But this is the first time it really kind of goes for it. And it's not yeah. just, you know, well name New York or whatever because it's populous. It's like, they're in Washington and then, you know, they actually make very direct use of, you know, landmarks like the Washington Monument, etc, etc, as part of the story. And uh, that's kind of fun, like, that they get to do that. And it's not just sort of, you know, we've named a place because it's sort of, and given it a vague kind of, wow, this is sort of what this part of the world looks like. It's a very direct, like, hey, this is Washington. Like, especially, you know, American kids sat at home watching this, like, you've probably either been there or at least seen a heck of a lot of it on tv and you know like these landmarks you know it's like when things are set in london for us as like two yeah. you know two englishmen is like oh yeah no you, you know the sites you know when you know they have the shard or whatever or you know the tower of london all of those big things ben, just like you know <laughs> yeah big ben they're all like recognizable landmarks and i i i'm always uh, i'm always kind of in for that kind of thing it's it's kind of interesting yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, because what was it we had in the last podcast? Was it, like, Geocentral Africa or something? <laughs> like, yeah, a name yeah. check like that. We've had Peru in one episode, I think, as well. Had the, had the, the multiple dams as well, which I'm sure each had a name from season one. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think some of those were kind of, like, real locations, potentially, but it's like, you know, this is a, a very clearly recognisable one um, mm. that sort of marked it out to me as, like... Because even, like, you know, when they, they drive in there, there's, like, uh, what uh, what is it? Uh, Chesapeake Bay, which is, like... That sounds like a made-up place. Like, oh, no, that is actually a real place. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> all, all of that is kind of, kind of enjoyable. So, you mentioned about how they were utilising some of the actual bits in Washington, D.C. specifically. Let's get on to that, because that's in the next round of notes. So, Wheeljack sends out an Autobot... Uh, sends out an Autobot, that's not a phrase. Wheeljack sends... <laughs> I'm doing good today, everybody. Can you tell already? I'm going to leave that in the edit. I'm not fussed. Wheeljack sends out an SOS for the Dinobots, 
who, what I loved was Grimlock basically going, ah, Autobots are bitten off more than they can chew again, hey? Hmm? Hmm? And then in the end, in the end, they end up going to Washington. And we get a really fun moment here when Megatron just removes the statue of Abraham Lincoln from the chair and then just sits in the chair and pretty much just yeah. says, ah, this is a great throne. I like this. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Again, that's, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I like about this, where, you know, you just get to use actual monuments and things and just kind of mess around with them. And that's a really great moment. We also see that both Decepticons and Sub-Atlanteans are unaware that they are both planning to be rid of each other in the very near future as well. So tensions are rising slowly, but secretly. All the Dinobots arrive outside of Washington, D.C., and we see them work their magic, as I've written it down, Andy, to, to muscle their way through the energy dome. But I'm saying that because it was a really cool sequence of the Dinobots using each of their own abilities to break through this energy dome. And with the way that the music was going as well, it was just a really fun supercharged moment and once again showed why the Dinobots are awesome. Yeah, it, it always feels like the animators are excited when they get to do Dinobot bits as well, because it's sort of... I mean, when you think about it, most of the Transformers, it is just kind of like pew-pew lasers, and occasionally the laser will do a different thing. Like, you know, you, you get some sort of fisticuffs, but there's a relatively limited sort of palette that you can work with action-wise, whereas the Dinobots, because, you know, they breathe fire and, you know, like shoot lasers out of their tail, and they've got a, a, a more varied kind of set of abilities that it seems like they always really enjoy animating and as, as much as it's kind of weird that it turns out that this sort of like force field dome thing seems like it was just glass basically um <laughs> judging by this animation um you know it's yeah it, it was it was a good moment and it, again it's one of those really subtle little bits of, of writing of just like oh you know this is kind of impenetrable from anybody on the outside and then the dinobots just rock up and just smash straight through it which again just adds to the fact that it's like oh these guys are cool and really strong so good on them from here we get what well, i love this line from grimlock again can't do the impression as as established on previous podcasts but i'm gonna say the line me grimlock here again optimus prime to pull your diodes out of laser fire <laughs> just a great little burn but before we see grimlock free optimus prime from being immobilized we actually see grimlock and megatron have a scrap with each other this was great and i want to see more fighting between the two because this was a great little scuffle they had yeah yeah it's definitely something that yeah, I, I do hope we see more of that, because that's sort of, again, given how the series has sort of set things up, you know, repeatedly now about sort of Grimlock being arguably stronger than Optimus Prime in a lot of ways, it's kind of like, yeah, just let him have at Megatron a bit more. Let's let's see what happens. I'm in for that. Nurgle arrives and is trying to get an aim on Grimlock to incapacitate him, but he can't. So he just basically goes, you know what, I'll just shoot both of them, far easier. At which point, Starscream arrives calls him a traitor and makes it clear as much as possible that they, the Decepticons, and the Sub-Atlanteans are now enemies. Spike and Bumblebee are able to get the weapon away from Nurgle and leave it to Grimlock to break the thing into oblivion. With the Autobots all now restored and no longer incapacitated, the enemies retreat. But Megatron leaves the Autobots a going away present in the form of trying to shoot down the Washington Monument, which Prime is able to catch, and Grim Grimlock just kind of appears behind him and sort of just goes, Well done, Prime. Well done. Let me help you put that back. 
<laughs> yeah, and that, that that's that's quite funny as well because you you kind of feel like. Grimlock's kind of taking the mickey and being a bit sarcastic about it, but Optimus Prime is really just like, oh no, thank you so much, you've been very <laughs> useful as well. And it's just like, no, Prime, I don't think that's quite what he was going for there. But, uh, but uh, Silly Prime. <laughs> so the monument and Abraham Lincoln are restored to their rightful places, and the Autobots roll out to catch up with their enemies. On Sub-Atlantica, Megatron demands answers from Nurgil, but the Autobots arrive on the base and... The Dinobots, for some reason, Andy, are loaded into the trailer of Optimus Prime. I want to know why, because they can fly. Yeah, maybe... They and also, how did they tired. get to Washington in the first place? Well, yeah, exactly. Maybe they were just tired. Or, again, like, this is one of those weird kind of, like, sort of Transformers pseudoscience of, like, maybe they have a flight range that they exhausted getting to Washington and therefore can't fly back without refueling, but it's all done without actually ever being mentioned, so you're just making it up as you go along, basically. Which is probably what the writers were doing as well. So, hey Fair. And I think in one of my favourite lines in reference to the Dinobots, Optimus Prime just says, Okay, Dinobots, time to act prehistoric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that's... a great line and then they just go on a rampage it's so good but Nurgil now plans to use the energy stockpile on Sub-Atlantica to blow up the city and everyone else on it Spike Bumblebee and Wheeljack pursue him into the depths of the city but don't realise that Soundwave has sent Ravage and Rumble after them too as Nurgil is about to activate the self-destruct sequence as I've written it down it's basically dropping like a rod into a pool of something Rumble realises that Starscream was telling the truth. Nurgil is trying to betray them and causes a Rumble to try and buy some time to stop him. Wheeljack then almost nearly stops Nurgil, but Nurgil triggers the sequence. Everyone is now evacuating the city and we see an almighty explosion and Sub-Atlantica sink. With Spike surmising, we won't hear from Nurgil again for a long time. And then the episode ends. And I think as we've established, Andy... We'll never hear from Nurgil again. <laughs> yep, yep. I think he is done and done. So that's the end of the episode, mate. Thoughts on that final sequence of events? Yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty it's pretty solid. It's it's pretty good. Um, yeah, like it's sort of again enjoyable seeing all the kind of treachery and counter treachery sort of come to a head. Um, some some really good lines, like I think Megatron calls Starscream a dribbling dirt bucket at some point, um, which was uh, which was very good, very choice. Um, I think it was Starscream calls. I think it's one of the Dinobots, or at least call, no, maybe it's Nurgle actually calls him a treacherous hydro weasel, uh, which is also also very good. Um, but yeah, that's, that's some good solid Transformers, Transformers action stuff. Um, all, all the bits again about, about and around Washington, just kind of. It just adds an extra layer to it where it's not just like a random, you know, factory or whatever. It's somewhere recognisable. It sort of, it, it helps raise the stakes and just make the whole thing a lot more interesting and fun to watch. So from there, everybody, let's move on to our next episode. That being episode 10, Attack of the Autobots. The episode begins with the Decepticons launching an attack on Autobot HQ. The Seeker Jets, along with Soundwave, Rumble, and Laserbeak, are the culprits. Despite the Autobots valiantly trying to fight off their ambush, including Prowl having a cool moment using a grappling rope-like device to thwart Laserbeak, we see Rumble creates a ravine and Prime and Ratchet fall down. 
if on your Transformers bingo card you had a Transformer falling into a ravine, you may check that box now. Before we cut nearby to Megatron and Starscream. Starscream sprays something at Megatron and suddenly Megatron is invisible. Or in animation terms, it's just his outline because that's how cartoons work, everybody. His plan is to use his invisibility spray to attack the Autobots. That's pretty much what he said in that phrase. And I thought, that's a really clever idea. If you're invisible, they can't see where you are. And then Starscream is also sprayed... And then, to counteract what they said, they sneak into Autobot HQ. They make for the Autobot recharging chambers. Because, you know, Andy, that's been a thing this entire show. Recharging chambers. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've never really seen them go to sleep or, like, you know, how they do that whole thing. So it sort of makes sense. It's it's an interesting little bit of Transformers lore that, again, will probably never be seen or heard of again. But, you know, it's good good to see it. But that said, though, it does actually add credence, maybe, to your theory of there only being so much energy involved. And actually, didn't Bumblebee in one episode at some point, like, literally run out of energy and he got stuck in a ravine? Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, there have been so many reasons why there have been so many reasons why Bumblebee has got stuck in a ravine at this point. It's kind of hard to remember them all. So, hmm. in terms of the recharging chambers, just to make a note of it out loud on here, I've described them on my notes as looking like a stasis bed or something like you would see in like Star Trek or something, something yeah. akin to that. Yeah, they're kind of like your typical, yeah, sort of like hyper sleep kind of thing that like you'd see in like an alien movie or, or whatever so yeah pretty pretty sort of you know died in the wall designs for that kind of thing but uh, hey like there are only so many things you can do with the bed so there you go and megatron now adds quote unquote a personality destabilizer to the device that's linked to the recharging beds then they head out as it's alluded to the fact that their invisibility spray only has a certain time limit on it and megatron makes it known that when the autobots recharge they'll have an experience that they will experience excuse me a transformation they won't expect the hit and run style attack has the autobots puzzled to say the least and they are also expecting that something else is clearly afoot because they know the decepticons they they know at this point hopefully I I kind of actually just want to pause for a second because I love the idea that the Decepticons have this invisibility spray. And I'm just thinking, I, 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 said, to it, I said it a minute ago, as a concept, that's a really good idea. Attack them while you're invisible. And then, I will be honest in saying, Andy, I was a bit disappointed when they then just snuck into Autobot HQ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what, what, why not? Well, I mean... <laughs> I don't say why not wreck Teletran 1, like we'll get there I guess, um, before we can check that <laughs> off our bingo card. But yeah, it's, I, I mean it's, it's one of those things that it's an interesting kind of, um, it's an interesting like turning the tables because we've had so many times where Mirage has made himself invisible to like mess with the Decepticons plans that it's kind of nice to see the boot on the other foot for once. Um, it's, maybe this is just like, you know, several decades of sci-fi movies after this but having an invisibility spray seems very low tech and kind of low key (laughs) compared to all the like you know you you think of all the like cloaking devices and like optic camouflage that you get in like a ghost in the shell or something this feels far more kind of phoned in of just like i know it's a spray it makes them invisible um but uh but yeah i'm i'm you know i'm into the idea i'm also 
again, talking about things that I really like that are kind of basically every cartoon from this era did at some point. The whole, like, we're going to make the goodies into the baddies by insert, you know, thing here. I, w- I was quite excited about this of just like, oh, good, they're going to make the Autobots bad guys. I want to see this. Well, you mentioned that Prime and Ratchet are the first ones to use the recharging station since its modification by Megatron. Quote-unquote from Ratchet, Ah, nothing like a good Energizer recharge to give the bolts some volts. I like that line. I, I, suspect, I, I suspect that's probably like the marketing tagline on these like recharge chambers, like, give your bolts some volts. <laughs> buy, buy, buy one, get one free! Yeah. <laughs> Personality destabilizer not included. <laughs> Teletran then informs the Autobots of a rocket launch at Harding's Space Center containing a new solar-powered generating satellite designed to provide unlimited energy to the world. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) We had an entire episode without anybody designing or inventing anything to provide enough energy to the planet. But we're, we're, we're back at it again. Thank God for that. As Prime is relaying the importance of what's just been said to everyone else the personality begins to change. We see the eyes glowing red a little bit. And what Megatron alluded to is now starting to take effect. Prime, Hound, Ratchet, Blue Streak, Brawn, Wind Charger, Trailbreaker, and Skyfire have all been impacted by this change. Teletran detects the evil presence and begins having a conversation with Megatron, somehow, who makes it clear now that they are... That now, the Autobots are their kind... are. Or his kind of mechanisms, I think is the phrase that he used. Megatron's first command, because he also now can control the Autobot, seemingly, is to silence Teletran, which Prime does by punching a hole in through the console. So as you alluded to, Andy, well, in fact, no, you know what, Andy? You know what this means? Days since there was a catastrophe in Autobot HQ, we're back to zero. Yep, yep, Teletran. I mean, God, like, the repair bill on Teletran must be, like, just exorbitant at this point because just every every couple of episodes at best it just gets wrecked but uh, but here we are again <laughs> teletran has been uh, teletran has been ruined outside of autobot hq we cut to jazz and bumblebee with spike and spark plug inside jazz driving back to the ark with jazz musing about having a speaker system tuned up by the humans we then get to see a practical test as i have noted it down of jazz's speaker system which looks very loud so much so that he brings down boulders from a rock edge. That's how loud it is. Bumblebee heads back into HQ, but notices something is up with Teletran. And then Blue Streak appears, and is now evil Blue Streak at this point, grabs Bumblebee, basically going, you should go and have a recharge. <laughs> and then just dumps him into one of the recharging chambers. At this point, Jazz appears, is really confused at what the heck is going on. Blue Streak starts to attack him, and Jazz is able to get the upper hand by, quote-unquote, according to Sparkplug, conking out his reset relay. (laughs) The phrase conking out is just always so good. Bumblebee is freed, and everyone is confused as to what the heck just happened. We then cut to Sparkplug fixing Teletran, who is able to relay once fixed that all the Autobots have had their personalities changed because of Megatron's device. Just to pause there for a second, Andy. A lot of stuff has gone on. Any thoughts or feelings you want to convey, first of all, before I perhaps add one or two things myself? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the counterpoint, like, much as I said, I was excited to see, like, oh, you know, I like the, the, the goodies get turned into baddies thing. The thing that I don't like about this episode so much is that it's just, like, Megatron commanding them what to do. Like, I think it's far more interesting if it's a just, like, you know, we've kind of reversed the polarity of their circuits or insert whatever, like, science jargon you want here that just makes the Autobots do bad things that aren't really controlled by anybody. Like, that feels far more kind of malevolent than... Because this is, this is sort of, you know almost feels a little bit like you know the episode we had in our last podcast episode where you know we had like you know fake optimus prime being controlled by megatron it's kind of like it feels like a variation on that theme whereas i was sort of more into the idea of just the autobots just like of their own free will start doing bad stuff because they've been like weirdly reprogrammed which i would have i would have found more entertaining um i will also say i feel like this episode made me realise that there should be more jazz in this show. Like, jazz features a fair bit, but he's always sort of drops in with the odd line or two. I like it when jazz gets a lot of dialogue because it's really good and Scatman Crothers is great and it was really nice to have an episode where he gets to talk a lot and not just kind of have the odd quip here and there. So I, I was a big fan of having a bunch of jazz in the, the, the first chunk of this episode agree on the jazz thing i'd love to see more of him and with regard to like the autobot personality thing i 100 percent agree I, the idea that it's like the reverse morality thing has far more clout to it so you know prime wants to save people destroy people is the opposite of that in theory it's like kind of that idea of it i think has far more credence to it but who knows maybe it was like a thing of we can't do that on a saturday morning kids show we just can't yeah, but, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I wonder if it's more that, like, because a lot of... I, I feel like I've watched a lot of cartoons where they do just exactly that and it's just, like, a complete, like, 180 to the characters. Maybe they felt like they had to add an extra layer to it just to differentiate it from, like, well, every other show does this. So I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that of just actually trying to do something a bit more unique, whereas I'm sat here being like, no, I, I want the thing that every other cartoon did. <laughs> Well, speaking of unique, Andy, you know what was unique? Seeing Optimus Prime prowl, I've written down, it might not have been known in hindsight, and Braun arriving at an Air Force base and beginning to just rip up airplanes. Just utterly trouncing these airplanes, just causing havoc, wreaking chaos, whatever the correct phrase is. They were messing some stuff up. Bumblebee and Spike head to the airbase as well to try and stop them, much to the protest of Jazz and Sparkplug. We then see Ratchet and Hound arrive at a laboratory of some kind. There wasn't, it wasn't name-checked or anything, to my knowledge. Tasked with getting the plans for the solar satellite that's on the rocket. That's what Megatron's asked them to do. The inventor, Dr. Harding, is inside with the plans. We see some... What I've written down as crazy animation with Ratchet and Hound somehow crouching through corridors which I found incredibly amusing. <laughs> just, just a very, very weird visual. They get to Dr. Harding's office trying to capture her and the plans, but she ends up just breaking a window with a chair and jumps out of the window and somehow just lands on a parasol totally fine before running away. This sequence, Andy, was wild and great. Yeah, well, I mean, this character seems pretty 
Hardy, <laughs> because <laughs> you know she with 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 the pun not entirely intended until I said it. But like you know, she she goes through some stuff in in a very brief period of time in this episode, and somehow like comes out of it all unscathed. So like you know, I mean, again, some some superhuman stuff going on here. We'll get onto what you're referring to in a second because I've got things to say about what happens to her in a few minutes. Back at the Air Force Base, Prime's crew are still on a wrecking spree, with Bumblebee and Spike arriving, as mentioned before. Bumblebee tries to talk to Prime, but literally just gets swatted away like a fly. Meanwhile, elsewhere, Megatron and Soundwave break into the launch control area of this rocket base and reprogram the controls, despite not having the Doctor's plans. That's not apparently a major issue at this point, which begs the question... Why do you need them then? <laughs> Their goal is to be aboard the rocket in two hours, which will be bound for Cybertron with the secret of perpetual energy. With them. Sorry. <laughs> Back at Autobot HQ, Sparkplug has made an attitude exchanger. <laughs> These names. Which will drain away the bad energy created by Megatron's, de- by Megatron's device, excuse me, and replace it with purifying ions. It's like, apparently, Andy, that's what attitude is. It's purifying ions. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a mineral water, like, commercial or something at this point. But <laughs> sure, like, I'll, 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 I'll buy whatever, whatever spark plug is selling. At this point, Blue Streak is now awake once again. And this is the perfect opportunity to test this new device. Which works! They attach it to his leg, and all is well. The way they did this, spark plug basically just attach it to his leg while Jazz was distracting him because Jazz is great. We need more Jazz. Now that they know that the device works, Sparkplug begins making more. Elsewhere, Dr. Harding is running away from Hound and hides herself in a dumpster or as I actually initially wrote to Andy, a biffa bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- depending <laughs> on your location, listen to this podcast. Delete is applicable. <laughs> Hound picks up the bin with her inside, but Jazz appears. Hound throws the bin towards Jazz. Jazz, not knowing there's a human inside seemingly, dodges it. This bin bounces off the wall, crashes down in a heap. The doctor somehow just pushes the lid away. It's totally fine and runs away. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> like in in terms of th- things in these episodes that made me laugh, and there are quite a few of them. I uh, like this. This was definitely one of them. Of just like, okay, I don't, I don't know how <laughs> any of this is okay, but I'm glad. I'm glad you're all right, having been thrown by a transformer while you're in a bin. Ratchet is also nearby at this point, and Jazz's and Jazz and Sparkplug are able to restore both Ratchet and Hound. Back at the Air Force Base, Bumblebee is still trying to take on all three of his comrades there in a three-on-one handicap match, if you want it in wrestling terms. We then cut to, the, to, we then cut to a jet in the sky, with some humans inside, when a Skyfire appears and blows up the jet. The humans were fine though, don't worry. <laughs> Jazz Hound, Blue Streak, Ratchet, Sparkplug and Dr. Harding see this happen... Hound is able to successfully fire one of Sparkplug's attitude exchanger devices from his gun, just fires it in the air, and is able to actually get Skyfire, and all is well with Skyfire once again. They all take off and head back to the Air Force Base. When they get to the Air Force Base, now knowing that Hound's plan from a few moments ago worked perfectly fine, 
Hound is able to reset Blue Streak and Brawn accordingly, but Prime dodges the shot that was aimed at him. And also, Andy, this price is a bit for debate here. Prime, as it's phrased in the show, splits into his three components. I'm assuming that's Prime, then Roller, and I've just written down a turret. <laughs> yeah, it's basically, yeah, the gun part of his turret, which, again, I think that is, like, canon across everything that he actually has, like, three component parts there, in terms of, like, his brain that he can kind of, like, compartmentalise. Mm. I mean, the, the interesting part about this is sort of what comes... Well, actually, no, it does sort of play into this later, like, the idea that he... He he is one personality, but he can split parts of himself off into the others. And it, it, this episode, one of the interesting things it does in this moment is it it plays with that idea a little bit. Indeed. So Hound is able to shoot Roller and the turret, but 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 Prime Prime, I guess, uh, is still on the loose. But they only have one device remaining. Bumblebee takes the device and heads to Prime who, as you've just alluded to, Andy, is showing signs of what I've written down as mental conflict. Because mm. two-thirds of him have now been restored, but you've got the, the arguably the bigger, more dominant component, but just the one of the three still being... Uh, having been adjusted by Mechatron. This is really badly phrased today for me, but I'm just going to go with it. And eventually Bumblebee is able to get through to him long enough to attach the device... And then once Prime is restored, we actually see a really cool touching moment where Bumblebee's been trying to get through to Prime all this time. It's like, like, Prime, it's me. It's your buddy, Bumblebee. It's me. Swatted away. But now Optimus Prime actually embraces him and hugs him and just goes, thank you, little buddy. It's a really cool moment. I really like that. Yeah, and there's actually, like, yeah, I, I didn't mention earlier on, like, Bumblebee's voice acting is actually, like, really good when he's trying to, like, talk Prime out of, like, what's going on? Like, there's a genuine sense of, like, distress of, like, oh my god, like, you know, this, my leader and friend is just, like, acting all messed up and I don't understand why. And, and it's, like, really good because, you know, but Bumblebee is so often just used as sort of comic relief or sort of like human interface with Spike and what have you like doesn't necessarily get a lot of meaty dialogue to work with but actually like that was a really good moment of just like oh yeah you know there's there's a good there's a good good acting range to uh, to that that character's voice actor completely agree if there, if there was an Autobot to sort of you could say this was like their episode in many ways this was a Bumblebee episode even though he didn't feature in all of it yeah, yeah. I mean that that and and, and jazz likewise. Like if yeah. if anything, if I, if I were to label it any anyone, it would almost be like a jazz episode for at least the first half. But yeah, Bumblebee gets some 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 good good moments going on here. With the Autobots now restored, they analyze the situation and what their next move should be. Everyone boards Skyfire and heads to the launch pad where the rocket is based. With, with 30 seconds to go until the rocket is launching, the Decepticons board it because it is bound for Cybertron. Ratchet and Prime are also able to leap onto the rocket, with the plan being Ratchet will disconnect the satellite and Prime will guide it to its original intended destination of Earth's orbit. Megatron is furious when he realises that they're trying to wreck his plan and begins firing at them. Back with Skyfire, Jazz climbs onto the front of him, outside, literally on top of him, and just cranks up his brand new speaker system, and then we and creates, as it's phrased in the show, a musical sonic boom, which is a great phrase. If there is not a band called that, there needs to be. It is such a good phrase. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and who could have foreseen that that random scene of Jazz testing out his speakers would be foreshadowing for the end of this episode? I certainly didn't. <laughs> and basically, Jazz's speakers disrupt the rocket and its sensors. They're able to disconnect the satellite and throw it into orbit as the Decepticons abandon ship. At Autobot HQ, Sparkplug and Ratchet are arguing over who was the one to actually save the day, which results in them being reminded that they that they have all helped to fix things in a lot of different ways. Ratchet saying during this argument, you wouldn't know a microchip from a potato chip. I did like that one. Yeah, and the episode ends. Bit of a weird final scene that, I've got to say, with like the argument thing. It didn't really make sense, and it didn't even make sense in my notes, quite frankly. It did just feel like very, like... We've got this bit of the script. Put it in there. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel like what they were going for was to kind of play with the idea of, like, oh, we've seen the, the Autobots being kind of, like, evil, and, you know, maybe maybe there's still a bit of their evil left because, you know, they're arguing with each other. But that was overshadowed for me by the fact... I, I find it really hilarious that the end of this episode is basically all of them laughing it off and just like, <laughs> we did so much damage to that air force. Oh, oh what a day. <laughs> like that. How hilarious, you know. Remember that time Optimus Prime broke a jet over his knee? Which was legit great. I really liked that. <laughs> um, and it's just like, yeah, they're just laughing it off. Because we've seen, like, we had that, that episode, like, uh, a few episodes back where, you know, they ended up having to go back and clean up all the mess they'd made. This time I just like, ah, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> and that was well, it. That was like, close, cue, to, cue the credits. I almost feel like, Andy, now that you said it like that, that was almost foreshadowing for something that happens in one of the later episodes we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a weird sort could, of way could be could be so overall andy that episode overall thoughts yeah it was it was all right like i mean i did it, i did enjoy watching like i say Optimus prime breaking a jet over his knee I, that that's really that's all i needed apparently like never mind <laughs> Optimus prime playing basketball that i mentioned earlier like Optimus prime you know breaking stuff over his knee also very good um so yeah there was some fun scenes in it it just like I would just have liked them to see them do more with the whole like personality change thing and to really mm. go for it. Again, this is almost weirdly one of those ones where I'd love to see like a multi-part story of that sort of thing where you can have a big cliffhanger of like, oh my God, you know, now the Autobots are stealing all the energy and, you know, they're trying to get back to Cybertron because they've become the evil ones. Like what happens then? Um, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't really quite follow through on that, but it maybe just doesn't have the time to follow through on that. But uh, hey, there, there's some there's some good stuff in here. It's like you said up, up top, like very much like good moments rather than maybe like good episodes outright. And I think this is a, a, a prime with every pun intended version of this where it's like, yeah, there's some, some really cool moments that you can point out, but maybe not the best episode like in terms of its overall narrative. Yeah, Prime destroying jets was great. Yeah, I also made a note. I can't actually remember this, but I clearly saw at the time that he threw a satellite into orbit. I, that sounds like a thing Optimus Prime would do, and I wrote that, it down. That, I so. think, was when they detached the thing from the rocket that had the Decepticons on it. I think Ratchet oh, okay. gave it to him, and then he just basically threw it. He just lobbed it, it yeah. It, into, into orbit. Because, you know, Prime's <laughs> got really good aim, you know. That 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 sounds like a thing that would happen. The, the, the final thing that I, that I didn't know earlier that... I, I really enjoyed and also found funny from an animation point of view, like when there's that skirmish at the start, like Ratchet kind of catches Rumble, 
but Rumble then transforms into his cassette form, so Ratchet just like fumbles him, just like, oh, oh no, I'll just pick up the cassette. And as he picks up the cassette, Rumble just transforms again, and Ratchet's like, oh no, now what do I do? And it's just like, I just wanted that to go on forever, where he just like keeps grabbing him in one form, then he transforms into the other and drops him, and then just does the whole thing again. Because that was, that was a really, that feels like one of those moments where they were probably like the direction in the script was just like Ratchet and Rumble have a fight and somebody just decided they were going to do something fun with it and I'm all for it. Yeah, that's like the looping gif that you want, quite frankly. Yeah, but, it, it, exactly. But also, just actually to focus on that note before we move on to the next episode, I really, really like that. I don't know why I didn't note it down on my notes in hindsight, but because it was actually something different. In terms of like how does like, you know, the mini cassette... Decepticon escape. It's actually quite a shrewd move, just transforming like that. I, I really, yeah. really like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like Transformers is peppered with those sort of moments where you can't really tell whether it's something that was written into the script of, like, make this a thing that they do, or whether it's just the animators just picking up, like, a basic like direction and running with it. But there are a whole bunch of bits like that in, kind of, like, in the movie and in the series where you get these cool little encounters where it's just like, ah, it's actually, like, you know, and again, it's not just your pew-pew lasers, it's actually, you know, something a little bit different, and yeah, it's definitely it's definitely fun when they, they do that kind of stuff so from there everybody we now move to episode 11 microbots we begin in a jungle-like location where a couple of intrepid explorers slash archaeologists are doing what i've described andy as a very amateur looking dig site trying to mm -hmm. search for something they end up finding metal which upon further digging and by further digging i mean a lot of digging it resembles something like a spacecraft. Quote-unquote from the male archaeologist, the Mayans didn't have spacecrafts. <laughs> Just... Yeah, this is like showing all of his years of like history, historical research. <laughs> Like, they didn't have spaceships. I also like here how, like, this episode sort of starts with them, you know, just finding, like, a, a vase or something that's, like, 1,300 years old. And it escalates very quickly to, oh, and now we found a spaceship. It's <laughs> yes. like, surely with your metal detectors, you might have noticed that first, not the kind of, like, the, the little bit of, you know, China wear. Yeah, the bit of pottery <laughs> that you'd found first. But, hey, priorities, I guess, yeah, depends what you're looking for. <laughs> They surmise that the ship could be millions of years old. At Decepticon HQ, Soundwave has somehow... Uh, why am I saying somehow? Soundwave is watching a news broadcast on television and brings Megatron over because they are reporting about the strange ship. They show a picture of it, or the, the back end of it, because the rest of it's stuck in the mud, and Megatron immediately recognises it as a Decepticon ship. And of course, must have it. We now cut to Autobot HQ, where Perceptor, randomly in the spotlight, sure, is tending to a broken ship from Ironhide, utilising a device that enlarges the object in question so he can fix it up good and proper before returning it to its normal size. Now, remember Andy in a previous episode how Cliff Jumper was just accusing... Uh, who was it? It was accusing Mirage, just mm -hmm. outwardly, with no reason whatsoever. Just being... Quite frankly, being a bit of a dick. That's the easy way to phrase it. Well, yep, this yep. time it was Braun's turn to do that because he was just calling out Perceptor like there was no tomorrow. It's like, the heck, man? I get he doesn't go out into the field much, which is kind of the crux of the argument, but it's like, come on, mate. Let, let up. 
Yeah, yeah. There's definitely it's it, it's it's always interesting to see a bit of the the, the Autobot beef that, that that is clearly going on that you don't get to see normally. And I mean, to be fair, again, this this is actually more than the cliff jumper like Mirage thing sort of feels like it works in terms of character because like Braun is like you know always on the front line, you know stealing Megatron's gun and shooting him with it and doing all the the cool stuff like that and I kind of, you can kind of get his like, his point of view of like, well Perceptor just hangs around, you know back at home and just shrinks things and makes them bigger again like, you know, what's the deal? Like he's not, you know, he better be on a lower salary than me because I'm doing all the, the real work here um, so I do, I do, I do kind of like that as making good use of the characters and their traits to to back up the point. Um, also, I just really like Perceptor, so I was just excited that that was a Perceptor episode. <laughs> it's weird, like Perceptor is one of those Autobots. I can't remember if I mentioned this before when he was randomly introduced in a past episode, but I, I, it's one of those things where I'm just not familiar with Perceptor. It's like a lot of Transformers I've watched is just maybe has been in the background, but just yeah, never actually I mean, had focus. So it's, it was quite weird actually suddenly thinking, oh, Perceptor's like front and centre of this. All right, this is different. Yeah, and I, I think I might have mentioned this when he like randomly appeared in one of the other episodes. I'd sort of like half remembered that he was like only really introduced in the movie or at least kind of like later than that. So it's kind of like weird seeing him at this point because in my mind, he's always like a later generation of Transformer. Um, but no, here, here he is with like kind of, you know, sort of talking about some of the sort of potentially like weak things that Transformers could transform into. Like, you know, he is just a microscope. You know, or everyone else is a car or a jet or, you know, something like that. But no, he's just, just a microscope. A and, microscope you know, not... with a rocket. Yeah, micro- <laughs> I mean, yeah, that does that does change the, 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 cal- the, the calculus a little bit, I guess. But it's uh, <laughs> like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with microscopes. But, you know, when your leader's a big truck and you're just a microscope, you know, it, it seems it seems a little... Maybe he got the short straw. But again, it, it fits his character. And I, it's one of those ones where I just really like the character's voice. Like, I think Perceptor has yeah. a really good voice in this, so I'm, I'm all for just like, yeah, just lots of Perceptor talking. I'm in for that. Bumblebee actually comes to the defence of Perceptor, it's worth noting. And even Prime is then the one to actually break up the discussion. <laughs> because Prime has to be the mediator when there is an Autobot argument. But Perceptor highlights when Prime is saying, I need everyone to come with me and roll out right now. Perceptor is just like, I have so much to do. I need to finish repairs. I can't possibly leave. And Prime just acquiesces to the request and just goes, sure thing, Perceptor, sure thing. (laughs) So Prime, Brawn, Ratchet and Bumblebee drive to South America, Andy. (laughs) Just just South America, nowhere in particular. But drive yeah. to South America to to stop Megatron from likely wanting to acquire the newly discovered ship. We cut to the Decepticons, who are, as I've put it, clearing a large area of the jungle. And the reason that they're doing this is because they want to avoid satellite detection so they are not flying to the ship. Which, you know what, Andy? Good planning from Megatron. Good planning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's maybe they should have done that more frequently when they were trying not to let the Autobots get wind of their plans. But, you know, they're learning, so that's good to see. Learn by experience. But you know who didn't learn by experience, Andy? Starscream. Because he has a great interaction with Rumble that results in a giant snake wrapping around him and Starscream being terrified of it. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It's also a really enjoyable kind of... 
Starscream is a figure of fun for the other Decepticons. Like, we, as much as he's like, I'm going to be leader, and they're all just like, oh, don't don't look up, don't look behind you, just just stand there for a bit. Yep, that's it, you've been wrapped in a snake. And yeah, Starscream's <laughs> reaction to that is, is priceless. Also, we got to see Ravage take on a big cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was... I think I've seen, like, video clips or GIFs or something of that before and was just like, oh, that's fun. Um, so it was nice to see the episode that that came from and be like, oh, that's fun. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I liked that quite a lot. The Autobots are not having much of a better time trying to go through the jungle, but you know what they did, Andy? They found the Decepticons trail that they had laid and just followed them. Silly Decepticons, cover your tracks. Megatron and co. arrive at the ship where the archaeologists are about to try and open it. But the Decepticons quickly put a stop to that and scare them off. And Andy, you know how like you'd think if a ship is really old, might be a bit delicate. You might want to take care when opening it. I wouldn't think just blowing a giant hole in the side of it would be a way to do that. I mean, it's a very Decepticon way of dealing with the problem. It's like, I would just blow a <laughs> hole in it, it'll be fine. So, you know, and I guess they, they seeing as they, they seemingly knew what the ship was, you know, maybe maybe they knew that it would be be up to that. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll let them have that. So Megatron is now in possession of an energy maximizer. It's a glowing green crystal. Sound familiar, people? Just saying. <laughs> Which which he acquires via the use of cyber forceps to disconnect it from the device it was being held in. <laughs> just not, not, not just normal forceps, cyber forceps. <laughs> I had to write that down. Now, according to Megatron, this is the same device that actually powered the Decepticon ship when coming to Earth from Cybertron. So that's how much energy we're talking about here, people. It's then implanted into Megatron's chest, and when the Autobots arrive to try and take them out... The Autobots are just immediately done for. Like, Megatron has had a... Megatron is just overpowered at this point and just wipes out Prime with one shot. Autobots are being shot down left, right, and center, all by Megatron, which I want to note this, Andy, and this is kind of a recurring theme in this episode. There was some really great animation in this episode, like top-notch quality stuff of just the action going on. This was one of the first instances instances of that, excuse me, when Megatron was just firing on all cylinders with this. Yeah, yeah, it, it looks it looks pretty good. Like it's it's this this episode definitely definitely feels like another one that, that's had a bit of more sort of time and, and care and attention put into it, at least in in some considerable significant spots and that is that is probably one of them so as mentioned the autobots are just being taken out all by megatron and prime is being tended to by smokescreen who i don't know smokescreen apparently sure i'll take that at face value and prime is very concerned that megatron now has the heart of cybertron andy i'm derailing the conversation for a second because this thing has been referred to as, what was it, the Energy Maximizer, now the Heart of Cybertron. These are, uh, to me, these are two very different things in scale. And they yeah. both just seem to, like, it's almost like someone didn't get the memo in the script. Because it feels like it goes from being pretty important to really freaking important. Yeah, because it kind of starts out as just, you know, this week's 
power generation device and then the next thing you know it's basically the creation matrix but for Decepticons which is a really cool thing um, especially given that like at this point in the cartoon we hadn't really heard of the creation matrix so it's just like oh okay this is you know this is kind of like a super important piece of Transformers lore here but it's sort of very strange how it goes from yeah just like glorified battery to you know basically our holy grail in, in the course of like two minutes uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm into the heart of Cybertron idea. I'm into the hack that like Megatron has like a chest plate like where it fits in the same way that Prime has one for the Matrix. It's like, yeah, this is this is all good Transformers lore. I just don't know why it sort of came from such a throwaway place. So anyway, sorry. Smokescreen, who uh, is sent to make a distraction in the form of... Can you guess what his distraction might have been, Andy? Is it really loud music? Ah, oh, mate, you are so close. It's a smoke screen. And ultimately, this leads to a bunch of Decepticons being buried under some rubble. Because the Autobots are intelligent, everybody. The Decepticons sometimes just aren't. Back at Autobot HQ, loads of them are banged up, battered and bruised from the battle. And Perceptor is on hand to assist. Though Brawn, once again, has some choice words for Perceptor. But Prime kind of puts his foot down and basically says... Braun, stop it, or you'll have to answer to me. It's like, when you get on Prime's bad side, it's like, the heck, mate? It takes a lot yeah. to get to that point. Yeah, th th this is Optimus Prime's, like, equivalent of, like, go to your room without dinner. It's just like, <laughs> no more messing. This is serious now. Perceptor is working on Power Glide and is using the same device as earlier I mentioned about the chip being enlarged and shrunk, when suddenly the power goes out. The reason being is that Prime has diverted all power to something that they are working on. But Perceptor is suggesting, well, I've got an idea for how we could probably sort this. What if we made some Autobots become microscopic in size to go inside Megatron using his, and I've tried to write this down phonetically, Andy, because I couldn't believe this was actually what it was called, the Transmatch Reduction Beam. I'm glad you managed to get that because I like I I maybe I didn't have my volume turned up enough, but I didn't quite get what what was said there, and I was like, okay, well, whatever jargon it is, it doesn't really matter. But so, yeah, good, good 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 to know that Perceptor watched in a space like shortly before this whole adventure began. <laughs> so yes, that ultimately is decided. Let's do that. So Perceptor, Bumblebee, and Brawn are the team made. This seems like a bad idea. Like honestly, like why? Would you do that? But they are the ones that are shrunk down to size and Power Glide is tasked with delivering them to Megatron. Now, Andy. <laughs> this, might this, be, this might be the best scene in all of Transformers. So for context, the Decepticons have got out of the rubble and whatnot. We then cut to what I would best describe as the Decepticons equivalent of a drunken campfire where they've each got an Energon cube, and they're just drinking Energon like they're just drunk. We're getting lots of, like, drunk speak. There's Megatron kind of going, ah, oh, things were better on Cybertron, and stuff like that. It is freaking great. Even gets to the point where Rumble, and th where Rumble excuse me, and Thundercracker are just falling over drunk on Energon, and they even just start chanting, energy, energy, <laughs> at some point. It's just, what is going on? And then after all the drunken ramblings, 
Megatron just starts to pass out drunk, as does every Decepticon, apparently. This is just such a trip. And because Megatron is drunk, he doesn't notice Power Glide until it's far too late. And all the other all the other Decepticons are just flat out, just passed out, like passed out drunk at this point. So Megatron then decides to head off to Autobot HQ by himself to take out all the Autobots. Yeah, I, I, I really love the part of that where he's basically like, oh, Decepticons attack and they all just like, fl- <laughs> they're either all already out or they just slump over. It's like, oh, oh no, <laughs> guess I'm on my own. This scene, mate, was incredible. It, yeah, it is utterly ridiculous, but it is kind of fun. Like Again, clearly all the voice cast having fun. Like, great, we get to do drunk robots this week. Bring it on. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do some good drunk robots. Yeah, drunk Megatron is great. Just like, I hate my I hate my disguise on Earth. It sucks. Why can't I be a tank? And it's like, oh, well, we'll be a G2 Transformers Megatron. You'll get your time. Um, but yeah, like all, all of that stuff is kind, kind of fun. And it's one of those things I really want to know whether... They wrote that in just to have like a good way of people of, of like this group getting inside Megatron's body, or whether somebody was just hell bent on like we need drunk Megatron. I insist that we write drunk Megatron into this series at some point. So, as you mentioned there, just to sort of because we could talk about this all night, but I appreciate we we still have more to discuss. As you alluded to there, the Autobot party are able to successfully get inside Megatron. And inside Megatron, they're they're wandering around, and and at this point, Perceptor makes it known for the first time, Andy, they have two hours to get in and get out, because otherwise they're going to return to normal size. And I think as one of the Autobots says, they just go, oh, good to know. Yeah, should should probably probably have like signaled that up front, that there's a time limit on this mission, but, uh, you know, hey-ho. Also... Kind of talking about like animation quality stuff. I really like how a lot of like the inside of Megatron looks a bit like the inside of Unicron when we get to like the movie mm. later on. Like a lot of the design stuff and the the, the weird sort of like you know I don't know a lot of like ball shaped things inside Transformers apparently. But I I like that there's like a, a tonal consistency there that is just like oh yeah this is what the inside of Transformers look like apparently and it's nice that it's you know it's kept is kept consistent across various stories. That actually brings up an interesting question, because what year was the movie released? Was it 86? Yeah, yeah, so that was kind of well after this, um, so, you know, I imagine they, they, again, like, both animated by the same studio, I imagine they probably had similar kind of, like, design documents, may even have had similar character designers for, for, mm-hmm. for the two, but it's just kind of an interesting, like, oh, you know, this is not, like, completely different to what we see later with Unicron. Also, I was just thinking maybe this was, like, the proof of concept for that. In some ways. Yeah, 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 you never know. Maybe. So, the way I've described this, and I think I've got my really old movie reference right here, Andy, but this this is basically now akin to the film A Fantastic Journey, when a group of scientists have to, like, go inside a human body to, like, get rid of, like, some kind of thing that's, that's lodged yeah. inside someone. Yeah, there, there are so many movies, and again, like this, this was a thing that I feel like every Saturday morning cartoon did at some point of the like, we have to shrink and go inside a body. It's at this time, it's a robot body. Um, um, but yeah, it's it, it's it, it's it's a classic, a classic trope. But it's also one of those things that's always kind of fun as well. So I, I, again, this is one of those episodes. I wish it had a bit more time to do like inside Megatron's body stuff because uh, it kind of has to rush through it a little bit. But it's still it's still kind of kind of enjoyable. 
So the three Autobots are having to outrun internal defenses of Megatron, which Braun is able to just demonstrate by his sheer brute force and strength that he can just take him out no problem. But another danger that they are having to tangle with is if Megatron makes any sudden moves, all of his internal compartments and such, or components, excuse me, will move. For example, if he moves his arm to like check his watch, which doesn't exist, all the bits inside that corresponding area will move. Because at the time that happened, they were in Megatron's shoulder. Continuity. I like it. At this point, at Autobot HQ, Teletran is aware that Megatron is closing in. He is 100 miles away. ETA, Andy, 10 minutes. That's some fast travelling, even when you're drunk. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did see like somebody mentioned that this is because uh, I was kind of like looking up, uh, looking up this episode specifically online, um, and I, I did see somebody noted that like this is the episode where we learn how fast Megatron can fly. Much like we learned like about Starscream and his like flight capacity. T today we get to do the same math for for Megatron apparently. <laughs> Although I, I, I wish we'd been told like how close he was in astroseconds, but. <laughs> Back inside Megatron, the team become aware of the fact that Megatron is horizontal and is likely because he is flying. Good deduction, everybody. Adding I mean, he could, he, could, he could still have been drunk. I mean, that would also <laughs> have like, explained why he was horizontal. Like, and he's probably still just out of it. You know? <laughs> um, that caught me off guard, sorry. Um, that's ad adding additional pressure to the situation when they end up at Megatron's brain. Which Braun, in my opinion, Andy, quite rightly, wants to bash Megatron's brain in. Yeah, I mean, two, two things here. One, yeah, like, I, there's not really a very good explanation of, like, no, you can't do that. It's like, why not? I mean, surely <laughs> this, solves, this solves not just the immediate problem, but also the longer-term problem of, you know, Megatron wanting to destroy the... take over the universe, blah, blah, blah. I also really like... and it, it, it It's put forth as like a plot point but it feels a lot like shade where i think it's brawn when they get to megatron's brain being like it's really quiet in here <laughs> it's like <laughs> that sound that sounded like some some real shade it's like, oh it's because he's flying and not thinking about anything else but it's just like if, if if i went into somebody's brain and just said oh it's really quiet in here like you know i, th I think the other person would take that personally and I think the reason that they gave for not destroying the brain was something to the effect of that if Megatron then, like, falls wildly, like, his heart of Cybertron thing could explode, because apparently it's fragile, you know? But why, yeah. is, why is everything that's really important, Andy, fragile? Yeah, well, you know, I guess, like, you know, energy is, is a fragile thing. I, I get that. But still, I, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not buying that. It's like, I, I do think Braun has, has a very good and valid plan here but mm. hey ho outside autobot hq so andy remember how earlier they were diverting all the power from like just the base in general because they had a, a little grand plan figured out they create they, they did it to make a little energy shield and when i mean a little energy shield i mean literally it will cover like two autobots <laughs> like if you're going to divert all the power of the Ark into a shield, I expect this to cover a mountain. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, this does raise us. I mean, again, it raises those questions about like how much energy like the Autobots have at any point in time. But it does seem like maybe the arc runs on like two AA batteries because <laughs> that's you know you, you you do kind of expect given how like grandiose it's made to sound, and it's the typical like you know sci-fi thing of you know divert all power to the force field, and then you know you see the big massive force fill around the starship enterprise or whatever so yeah when you get kind of a little kind of weak shield it's like well maybe you should have just not bothered diverting anything to it because it's not really going to help you much and also considering the fact that i think when all was said and done they estimated it would buy them five minutes yeah <laughs> i mean maybe that again maybe they knew that drunk megatron was coming and he just spent five minutes just like banging against the, the force for like why can't i get in i don't understand but <laughs> back inside megatron perceptor is pleading with with brawn not to damage the brain of megatron ah here's that moment where i just mentioned because it could make the heart of cybertron explode make of that what you will everybody uh, Braun saying in response, it's their only chance. But suddenly, Megatron is about to engage a laser beam, and we see an evil kind of like dragon-like creature appear inside Megatron's brain. And it turns out, this is Megatron's evil brain impulses, which I'm delighted at the fact they look like an evil dragon. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when you're so malevolent that even your like, brain waves are evil and will attack things it's like you know that's that's surely the sign of a of a, a, a fearless mercenary evil leader perceptor perceptor determines that they can hitch a ride on one of the impulses to lead them to the heart of cybertron perceptor when they get there is having to work very carefully to, to detach the heart from megatron because it could explode at any moment i know what you're thinking everybody i thought the same thing that, do you not want that to happen in theory? But yeah, less well, about well, that, the and, 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 and again, we've 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 kind of we've shelved the idea of just destroying Megatron's brain because there's a risk that the heart of Cybertron will explode. But when your primary plan also carries a risk that the heart of Cybertron will will explode, like surely you run the numbers and say, well, you know, maybe the brain thing is the one to go for because sure, if it fails, the heart of Cybertron will explode. But if it succeeds, then we destroy Megatron. In fact, either outcome will result in Megatron being destroyed so it's all good <laughs> but perceptor's work is being hampered because of the impulses literally getting in the way but then megatron breaks down the force field and just as megatron is about to finish them off his abilities disappear that's because the heart of cybertron has been detached and now the autobots inside him are running out for their lives and suddenly I think at this point, if I remember correctly, Megatron gets shot by Prime. Megatron's down on the ground. The three Autobots randomly appear from some crevice of Megatron. And Megatron has got that look of, the heck? Where the hell did you come from? And then just figures it out and shouts, you filthy retro rat! And then flies away. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is It is a really great like little moment of animation that they kind of basically grow at such a speed that they basically just kind of like stamp all over Megatron on their way out. And yeah, like Megatron again is like, how much did I drink? It's like, <laughs> I swear, like these Autobots just came out of me and now they're on my chest. Like, oh my God, my head. <laughs> but the episode is not done there, everybody, because the heart is about to explode and Braun throws it into space and then perceptor goes into telescope mode 
if I remember correctly. And once it was at a high enough distance, transforms back into regular mode, shoots a rocket, and the thing explodes. At this point, Braun is now finally and happily willing to admit that Perceptor is a hero. And the episode ends. Nothing else to say on that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just... It, it's, uh, it's a good fun episode. Like, I, again, I, I enjoy the whole, like, we need to shrink and go inside somebody's body. It's kind of doubly fun when it's, like, you know, their, their arch enemy and nemesis. Um, it, again, I mean, having jokes about the whole, like, you know, one would just destroy Megatron's brain thing. Like, again, that's the sort of thing other series would maybe have allowed more time to play with that idea of like, look, we're inside this guy's body. We could destroy him forever. And, you know, to play with like, you know, the, the lottery of that and what they can do and should do and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of an enjoyable episode. It is basically worth it just for like drunk Decepticons. Um, and, uh, and there was, I, I haven't written like who, said this line but I did write a quote where somebody just said I hate nice things I can't remember <laughs> I assume it's one of the Decepticons I think that was either Megatron or Starscream maybe but somebody definitely said the line I hate nice things was that during the drunk scene it must have been uh, no no it was before that I think I, so I can't I can't remember like what <laughs> what the context of that was so I'm really disappointed I didn't know who said that maybe it was me maybe that was just me just writing that I hate nice things I don't know but just the thought you were having while watching the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could, absolutely plausible. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode, but like I say, and we've sort of said it a couple of times now from when I mentioned it at the top, very much lots of great moments in this episode, but there are just a few things, like you said, as, like you mentioned as well earlier, this episode probably could have been a good two-parter if they could have fleshed out a lot more details and you go a lot more behind the scenes of a Decepticon, if you will. And also, I just want more drunk Decepticons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, an entire episode that's just like the Decepticon Christmas party, which are both topical for this uh, for the, the the broadcast date of the show, but would also be be incredibly fun. So uh, yeah, like there's there's a, a a secret episode that clearly doesn't actually exist. From there, we go to our final episode we'll be talking about for today. That being episode twelve of season two, the Master Builder. The episode begins with, quote-unquote, King of the Cloud Chasers, the Sultan of the, of the Stratosphere, Ace of the Air, Power Glide. That's what he said, by the way. I'm not calling him yeah. that. Yeah, or, 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 or as I wrote in my notes, oh no, Power Glide. <laughs> <laughs> I've described it as Power Glide having a joyride in the sky, because that's basically what he was doing. When suddenly, he is attacked by the Seeker Jets and is downed by Starscream. At Autobot HQ... Hoist is watching Grapple. Who? Grapple? Who the heck is Grapple? I'll just go with it. Uh, working on a solar tower model to present to Prime, but is worried that Prime will not be impressed. But he is. However, the big concern is how will it be protected against the Decepticons? Grapple is unable to provide an answer, so therefore Prime does not grant approval on this concept. Then Teletran signals, quote-unquote, Condition Magenta. <laughs> because <laughs> because con when, when Condition Red isn't enough for you. <laughs> I, I, I laughed far too much when that was said. <laughs> uh, this is in reference to Power Glide being shot down. 
Hoist and Grapple are the ones that roll out to go and help him without a single issue in the world. Like, literally nothing happens. And I'm just thinking, okay, this seems a bit pointless, but sure. <laughs> and after they're done fixing him, they're rolling back through a ravine. If you, on your Autobot bingo card, had Autobots in a ravine for this episode, you may check this now. While they're rolling back, Grapple is talking about how he still wants to build this tower that Prime wouldn't approve, but Hoist is protesting, quite rightly going, Prime said no, let's not talk about this. But what they don't realise is that they're being watched by the Constructicons, who ambush them and trap them in the ravine under a landslide. Now, in a twist on things, the Constructicons say that Megatron doesn't know they're there and isn't aware that they are currently speaking to you, Autobots. And they have no grievances with those two either. They go on to explain that they've ditched Megatron because he's undervalued them for too long, but they've always admired Grapple's building work from what he did on Cybertron, and they want to work with him. I'll come back to that note about admiring him on Cybertron in a few minutes, Andy. But little do they know, Megatron has eyes everywhere. And a video camera from a rock conveniently placed right next to them allows him to see the entire conversation happen. Gonna pause there for a second, I think, Andy, because there's a lot to unpack there and what has gone on. First thing I want to say, were the Constructicons on Cybertron? No, because I thought they were... I mean, they, they were built... Hmm. In season one, like, they didn't come via the space bridge or anything. I'm sure they were built. Mm. I mean, I've, I feel like I should remember the origin story from, like, a few podcasts ago that we talked about. But I'm pretty sure that they they weren't of Cybertronian origin in, in this story, at least. So, mm. yeah. They're, they're, I, 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 too, have questions about how they know Grapple, but... I mean, there is an element where I am just wondering... Not to spoil what's about to happen in the episode, but is Grapple just really freaking gullible? Well, I mean, <laughs> the events um, of this yes, episode my may, may suggest that, uh, that, that that Grapple is is really gullible. And for anyone who hasn't watched a lot of Transformers, like Grapple is not—he does not transform into grapes and apples. He's a crane, um, just to be. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, um, I—I mean, I the, do the best I, I, clarification we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> I, I do. Like, I mean, my weirdly, although this is like Grapple's kind of spotlight episode, this is one of my like kid me is kind of excited to have like hoist feature heavily in an episode because I had a hoist toy. Um, it's like it's it's always been sort of his sort of brother in terms of like toy model trailbreaker gets all the time in season one, but we actually get some hoist here, so that's. That's nice to see. Hmm. In terms of, I mean, the whole, like, Grapple being annoyed that Prime hasn't approved stuff, we've all been there, people, in life in general. We can relate to that. But I really liked the whole story with the Constructicons because there was part of me... Well, I mean, obviously, we we come to find out shortly, as we'll get on to, that this was kind of a plan from the Constructicons in the heat of the moment. But the way it was presented to grapple and hoist i thought it was actually very well written and very well executed in terms of furthering the story it came across really well yeah well, and this is one of those episodes that's kind of nice because it is different from the norm like this this is another one that breaks with the usual sort of like ah here's the infinite power generator kind of 
plan. Like it kind of has that because it has the the, the whole thing that Grapple's making, but it sort of it, it has a different spin on it, and it's kind of it's sort of fun and interesting to see at least one Autobot who's kind of just like you know disgruntled with Prime for a reason because you know it's usually most of the Autobots are kind of like fawning over him most of the time and just like oh you're such a great leader and you know to have somebody be like openly like well I think he's made a dumb decision here I'm gonna I want to go do my own thing you know that that's an interesting angle I seem to recall that kind of like fits into sort of like grapple sort of tech spec bio of him being like this sort of you know perfectionist sort of architect who you know wants to craft the most incredible things and you know will do anything to do that um but yeah and it's kind of doubly interesting yeah the fact that you know he's potentially willing to fall in with the constructicons just to do that and just to achieve that so there's definitely some interesting angles here that are sort of a bit more sort of deeper character wise than you maybe normally get out of the show Mm, 100% agree. Back at Decepticon HQ, the Constructicons return and they are confronted by Megatron about what the heck happened out there. I saw everything you said and we've even showed it on a video screen. But the Constructicons go on to explain that they eavesdropped on the Autobots having that conversation and in the heat of the moment came up with this scheme to get them to help them. But they need proof of their trust. So Megatron says... I will offer you my, my my most prized possession. Now, Andy, when he said his most prized possession, what's the first thing you thought of? <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I wasn't really too sure where that was going, and it seemed it seemed like a sort of a strange kind of bartering system in the first place. I think I was more <laughs> just like, this is not really the direction I expected this to go. But okay, let's let's see what they're gonna do. Because, everyone, the reason I asked that question is it turned out to be a whole bunch of Energon cubes. <laughs> which, yeah. which, to me, begs to ask the question, does Megatron really only care about Energon? I know it's that's kind of been the implication since the start of the show, but the, he's literally just said his most prized possession is Energon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... Well, I mean, we've seen... That he has an Energon drinking problem, so I guess <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I feel like this this might be the actual subtext of the entire series is that actually it's not about getting the Energon to fly back to Cybertron and conquer it. It's actually just like he just wants to drink it all. It's just like give me all the Energon because I'm really thirsty and I just need to get hammered again to black out all the bad memories of those times that Optimus Prime beat me and Starscream said mean things about me I just want to get drunk all the times that Starscream kept trying to overthrow me (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so as mentioned this turns out to be a whole bunch of Energon cubes conveniently enough Energon to build the solar tower that Grapple wanted to build which the, which the Constructicons say they stole from Megatron. The Constructicons then go to a local building site with a bunch of humans, and they just literally take a whole bunch of building materials, and we start to see this alliance between Grapple, I say Grapple and Hoist, but Grapple primarily, and the Constructicons come into effect. And they start building this tower, and as we've come to realise, Andy, Transformers are really quick at building stuff because this tower goes up freaking quick. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I actually really like how like wholesome this whole sort of building montage and part of the episode is because there's this great part where like one of the Constructicons and Grapple are just kind of like basically like swapping welding tips mm-hmm. and it's just like I really want to see like the Constructicons and Grapple's like YouTube video series about DIY tips <laughs> of just like you know this is how you replace a radiator and all this kind of stuff because they're just you know they're just shooting the breeze swapping their expertise and you know sharing knowledge and it's like it's it's like this is actually quite nice like this is this is what the world could be like if they weren't fighting over energon constantly you know they could just hang out and just build some stuff and you know just just learn some things and it's like this is this is really quite chill and relaxed like i i I could just kind of like it to stay like this the Autobot, the, the Transformers equivalent of like DIY SOS or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like yeah, you know, if if if, if your your house is in a mess, just send for Devastator. <laughs> I'm sure, it'll be fine. Uh, so, I think this might be the moment you've been waiting to discuss, Andy. At Autobot HQ, while this is all going on, Optimus Prime is playing basketball with a few other Autobots, including Trax, and we see Prime do some great moves, ultimately leading to a slam dunk. Discuss. Yep. I'll let you have your moment here. Discuss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> in terms of, like, the writing of this episode, I really like how they make Optimus Prime just, like, not really get, like, the terminology of basketball. Is like, am, am I drooling right, Spike? He says at some <laughs> point. Uh, but I also, like, this is the second episode in this batch that we're talking about where some problems are happening elsewhere in the world and the Autobots are just like, sports, we're playing sports. It's like, I mean, especially like in in the first episode we talked about here where, you know, there's, you know, the Atlanteans and the Decepticons are planning to like overthrow the planet and start by destroying Washington DC while the Autobots are just playing American football. And then this week, like, you know, two of your kind of, you know, important troops have deserted you to go and kind of, you know, join up with a bunch of enemy troops to build an energy device that your enemies may well use to overthrow the planet. And in the meantime, like Optimus Prime is just learning how to do six slam dunks with Spike. (laughs) And it's like, you know, I get you've got to have some downtime, but boy, boy, do you pick bad times to just say like, hey, Spike, Tell me about some other Earth sports. I'm just, I just really want to bounce a ball. I look forward to seeing Optimus Prime engaging in baseball next. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and just knocking balls got, into the sun. There's, there, there's got to be more of these incoming now. Like two, two is a trend. There's got to be more like sporting endeavors from the the Autobots at some point. I'll be incredibly disappointed. In fact, I'm pretty sure I seem to recall in like the the end credits of season three. There's some like sports day or like athletics thing <laughs> going on involving transformers i could be completely misremembering that but i'm i'm, I'm here to, to to put my flag in the in the ground right now and say there will be more autobots playing sports at some point in this podcast okay so let's do a little let's do a little foreshadowing here name one sport you you think will appear in the show upcoming I mean, given that this is a US series and, you know, animated in Japan where baseball is also big, I think baseball is a fair call. I'd kind of like to see them play soccer a bit. Like, I've seen giant robots play soccer in other series um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'd be be, be up for that. 
Um, I, I'm sort of hoping that there's going to be a point where there's an episode where the sports are the primary thing, and it's like Megatron's like, I'll defeat you this time, and you know, let's play marbles or something, and you know, it'll it'll be it'll be fun. I'm going to say ice hockey, but then I want what I want to see is Megatron going. If we beat you at ice hockey, you must leave the earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By ancient Cybertronian law states that if, if 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 we beat you in this penalty shootout, then you can never return. <laughs> so that basketball game I mentioned, Trax gets a little bit injured during this, and he makes it known that he would go in for maintenance if he could actually get an appointment with Hoist. Prime is puzzled by this, and it's also now brought to his attention that Grapple and Poist have not been here all day. So Prime sends Power Glide to go and find them. We then see a fun sequence of events where the Decepticons aren't able to enact the plans according to Grapple's blueprint, as you were alluding to a few moments ago, Andy. And we get some great moments, like you say, of, of Grapple teaching them how to do certain things when it comes to building. And I think one of my favourite ones, and I can't remember which Constructicon it was, is basically going, Oh, thanks for the help with that. I think you should do a few more, because I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you can see exactly where this is going, and it's all great stuff. Now, having taught the Decepticons how to construct some vital parts of this entire structure, the Constructicon's plan is working perfectly. Power Glide then finds the device and sends a video feed to Prime, who should note at this point, Andy, while he's sitting at Teletran 1, is still mucking around with the basketball. Don't know if you noticed that, but I sure <laughs> yeah. as heck did. And he is now aware that they are working with the Decepticons, that being Grapple and Hoist. Code Blue is initiated, and the Autobots roll out. I mean, I'm at least it's called Code Blue, not code, like Code Puce or something. So <laughs> clearly not that serious, because you know, otherwise it would be some weird like off shade of, of some other color. Code Teal, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Code Charcoal, Code Maroon. <laughs> what other random colors can we come up with? Uh, where was I? Sorry. So the device has now been completed thanks to Devastator making an appearance to install the final part of it on top of it. And of course, at that exact moment, Megatron appears and Grapple and Hoist realise what happened and they are imprisoned somewhere inside the device, but we don't know where. The Power Tower, as it's been called repeatedly at this point, has already produced over 400 Energon cubes by the time the Autobots arrive at the location. And the battle begins with the Autobots having the early upper hand, but then Devastator comes into play, and suddenly they are on the back foot. Then Ramjet... Who? Who's Ramjet? I don't know, but sure. The Decepticon Ramjet has a fun tussle in the air with Power Glide. Smokescreen, for the second episode in a row, it should be noted now, has to act as a distraction and then ultimately manages to manages to cause Devastator to accidentally hit the, hit the tower to a pummeling degree, thus bringing the tower down in the process. And as is traditional, when Decepticons are beaten, they retreat. Now, at this point, Andy, you wonder, where are Grapple and Hoist? What's up with them? Have they just been buried? You know, like Skyfire was buried in ice for seemingly an eternity and whatnot. While the Autobots are clearing the debris of this power tower, 
Braun is eventually the one to find them. In what I'm describing, Andy, as the Transformers equivalent of frozen carbonite from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And except in this instance, Braun is able to just smash it and break it apart. Yeah, I mean, if, if only Braun had been around in Star Wars, like, you know, the whole Han Solo thing would have been far less dire. It's just like, oh, nah, I'll just smash that up, it's fine. <laughs> and then we get a little moment where Hoist and, and uh, Grapple, I don't know if you've got his name there, apologise to Prime. Prime accepts their apologies and effectively says, that's cool, go back to base and get fixed up. Then come back here and clear up your mess. <laughs> and then we get a little moment of, like, of Grapple looking at his model, which some, for some reason was still at the at the real base. And then he kind of reminisces over it, and then the episode ends. I hate to sound very anticlimactic, but that's basically how it ended. Yeah, th- th- this is the downside of having an episode that's not necessarily, like, a big, sort of, you know, grandiose plan to overthrow the world, is it's kind of difficult to end it in any way that doesn't feel like a bit of a, a, bit of a damp squib. Um, I, I mean, I do have questions about Grapple's, like, incredible creative abilities when, you know, they build most of that device and then someone's just like, uh, how do we get to that bit at the top? And he's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And it's like, you know, I thought you were this, like, genius architect. You might have thought about this a bit further in advance. And it's only, like, you know, combining to form Devastators. It's like, oh, we can fix it. Don't worry. And even he's um, not actually tall enough to do it. He's got to be on his tiptoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If 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 only Optimus Prime had been there to just slam dunk it onto the top. It would have... <laughs> I thought I thought that was foreshadowing, but no, apparently not. It was just basketball. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a kind of a, a bit of an iffy end to the, the the episode. It's definitely one where it's like, oh, we've got some interesting ideas, but there's not that much you can do with it in twenty minutes in a kids cartoon. But hey, Grapple was fun to see and. Probably won't get another spotlight episode, so I hope you enjoyed your time with Grapple, um, and that's that's that. Yeah, uh, there were there were fun moments in this episode. More specifically, at the beginning, like I mentioned, with the Constructicons hatching their plan, like in the spur of the moment thing. I really liked that, but just by the end of the episode, it was just yeah, sure, this happened. That's kind of how yeah. I felt about it ultimately. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm. I'm also like I, I want to know like those four hundred energon cubes they created. Is that just like is that just like a night in for Megatron? Like it's just, it's just like it's, great lock in. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that's my weekend sorted. Like never never mind the rest. I'm I'm happy. That's probably why he really retreats. It's like I've got enough. I can, I can get a few <laughs> drinks in. I'm done. So folks, that concludes those four episodes of Transformers season two. Now, when it comes to next time, the episodes we will be doing are as follows. Episode 13, The Insecticon Syndrome. Quite a cool title. There is. And plus Insecticons, as we know, they have a lot of awesome things that they can do, so I'm in <laughs> for that. Episode 14, Day of the Machines. Is this the Terminator crossover I've been hoping for? <laughs> Surely this is every episode, but okay. <laughs> Fair point. And then episode 15 and 16, everybody. Megatron's Master Plan, parts one and two. We've got a two-parter coming up, Andy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had the Ladybird book of Megatron's Master Plan, so I might actually remember like some of what happens in this, but weirdly in like 
I remember reading this in book form because I don't think I've seen like the cartoon version of it. So uh, this this that might be an interesting one for me. Mate, talk about deep cuts of references. A Ladybird book this time. <laughs> we've gone from Timmy, yeah. Ma- Timmy Mallet to Ladybird books. Yeah, yeah, we've we've progressed. We've moved onwards and upwards. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us here today on Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not give us a follow on Twitter and or Instagram at Starscream's Pod. If you want to drop us an email, you can do so on starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And also, as mentioned earlier in the show, all of these episodes, if you're listening to the audio version, are available to watch in video form on YouTube. So if you actually want to see our faces and how we discuss these and the reactions of when we laugh at each other and stuff, you can do that. And of course, in this episode, you can see Andy's Santa hat. If that's not a reason to check it out enough, then there you go. And of course, (laughs) I'm not even going to describe what's happening, everyone. You've got to look at the video to find out. (laughs) But there you go. And of course, everybody, the episodes of Transformers we are watching are available on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That being the official channel created by Hasbro, where all the Transformers episodes are available to watch completely free and 100% legally. Andy, before we wrap up for today, any additional thoughts you want to convey? Yes, I've been, in tribute to the name of this podcast, I've been keeping this one in reserve from the Atlantis Arise episode. I didn't mention, there's a really great Starscream line uh, at the point where he's kind of interfering sounds really bad saying he's interfering with Wheeljack, but like when Wheeljack was <laughs> when, when, when Wheeljack was immobilized and Starscream was kind of like you know uh, me- messing around with his circuitry and uh, Bumblebee etc come in and they basically say we've got to stop him he's going to to like ruin Wheeljack basically and Starscream's line in response is ruining ruining Autobots is my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good line. Oh, there have been some great one-liners. There have been some amazing one-liners. We'll have to add that to the list of, like, Starscream quotes at some point. I'm sure we're going to do when we do our tier list of great Starscream quotes. That, 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 that could be our special, like, spin-off episode, Starscream's Quotes. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, thank you very much for listening and or watching once again. We hope you enjoy this festive holiday season. We are certainly going to do so. We'll be back on December the 30th with our next episode as mentioned and then we'll continue rolling on from there next year through the remainder of season two and beyond andy it's been another great time and i hope you have a lovely christmas yes indeed thank you very much merry christmas everybody (laughs) folks thank you very much for watching speak to you soon bye bye everyone